This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Kicking off week six of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. Uh, Saints get a matchup with a familiar foe. We got to see him in preseason plays, the Houston Texans. But was kind of interesting leading even into that preseason matchup, Jeff, was the fact that there were so many people hurt in Houston that they canceled the joint practices. But yeah, we were supposed to have joint practices with the Texans. So we were supposed to have a much better idea of who the Texans were at this point in the season. We don't. We did see that preseason game. C.J. Stroud did lead two drives. And man, it's been C.J. Stroud hype week, it seems. Dennis Allen, Derek Carr, everyone's talking about how great C.J. Stroud is. And I hope C.J.'s you know, drinking his own Kool-Aid a little bit uh, because, man, I have never heard a team hype up a rookie quarterback from the opposing team quite like this. But but we'll get into that. We're going to bring in Sean Pendergast from Sports Radio 610 in Houston. He's the host of Pain and Pendergast and also the Hugh-topia football podcast. And he's going to help us break down exactly what to expect. We all know this stat. You know, C.J. Stroud has set a new NFL record for passes to begin a career without an interception which as Derek Carr put it no one's ever done that before so it is pretty remarkable when you consider how many people have had the opportunity <laughs> you know it's not like that's a that's kind of this weird vague stat you see it all the time where there's those like you'll pluck it in the air oh he's the first quarterback to ever throw a touchdown with exactly seven minutes and 13 seconds remaining in week five you know like this is a real like everyone has had the opportunity to do this and no one has so it is interesting but I think we might be overhyping CJ a little bit but we'll get into that we're also going to talk about, you know, Alvin Kamara. I got into a little bit about how I see him and Mike Thomas specifically taking on bigger leadership roles this year specifically. And uh, I got to talk to DA and Alvin about that. So we'll listen to some audio on that. And then in the final segment, we're going to hear from Mickey Loomis, who had some interesting things to say about Pete Carmichael, dive into some X factors and whatnot. But yeah, first things first, we're going to get into this and it's like, I don't know. It, it's you, you never hear a team go out and say like, Oh, that guy's trash. We're going to, we're going to beat him up, but it does feel very, very intentional. What the saints are doing in terms of going out there and just talking about how great a quarterback CJ Stroud has been. And Dennis Allen said, he's ha- he hasn't just been good for a rookie. He's been good for an NFL starting quarterback. And it's like, okay guys, <laughs> like this is still a rookie quarterback. I hope that, in your minds, you are saying, no, we get it. He's played well, but we have the type of defense that should be able to stump a rookie quarterback, right? So no matter what you hear, this defense has to believe that they can 
have another big day against this guy. As good as CJ Stroud's been, he wasn't able to beat Desmond Ritter and the Falcons. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like we're talking about how great he's been. They, you know, that I, I watched the condensed game there and like there was some questionable throws. I think Deuce McAllister said this on uh, WWL yesterday, Wednesday. And it's like, he hasn't thrown an interception yet, but he's thrown some some interceptable passes. Let's put it that way. Like Atlanta had a couple chances to take down interception. So it's not like he's been perfect. I think what what's interesting to me, and we can talk about this uh, more in the final segment, is this is the third time this season the Saints have gone against a team that had just played the Falcons, which in another year or with another team, that might not be as interesting of a of a note, but it happens to be the team that who is has the defense led by your former defensive coordinator, and you know a lot about what they're trying to do. There's several former Saints on it, so you can get a decent read from those games. And frankly, the Falcons won all three of those games, so the defense played pretty well in all of them. So I think that, that for a team that you're looking at where you don't really have a ton of tape, that's something that you can look at is, you know, how did they fare against this is what the Falcons have tried to do against multiple different teams. And I just think it's interesting. No, you're, you're right with Ryan Nielsen there. Now it's almost like not a carbon copy, but definitely a lot of similarities I'm sure are over there that you can glean off of to help you in your week of preparation. Yeah. And so, you know, as you go into this game and, you know, we're hearing a lot of a consistency, everyone's saying the word consistency, except for Alvin, he's saying, shit, we need to be more consistent. And because that's just that's just how he operates. Um, but, you know, one thing that I talked about in our post-game episode earlier this week, and this is kind of something I do. I, I, I kind of read something and then I start talking about it. And then I'm, and then I second guess myself and I start being like, am I right? Or, or am I just imagining that? And then I'll go and ask people to confirm whether I was right or not. Uh, and it turns out, you know, I was. And so <laughs> by that, I mean, you know, I, to me, you're seeing Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas become the leaders of this team in ways that we haven't seen throughout their careers. They've been very good players throughout their careers, but they've always been the playmakers who are kind of secondary in the leadership role to a guy like Drew, to a guy like Mark Ingram, even a guy like Ted Ginn, who was a bigger leader of this team than I think a lot of people realize. And so I asked Dennis Allen about that to see if he agreed with me. And uh, this is what he had to say. Yeah, guys like Alvin and Mike, obviously they came in as young players and kind of developed into this locker room. It seems like there might be a, them taking on a bigger leadership role from a vocal perspective in the locker room. But, that, but you say that's accurate. And you know, what have you seen from them in that regard? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's accurate. I mean, I think, you know, both of those guys over the last couple of years uh, have taken on a bigger leadership role. You know, obviously, you know, in Mike's situation with some of the injuries, it's hard to kind of be that guy when you're not out there playing. Uh, and yet I think both of those guys, you know, understand what it takes to win in our league. Um, and I think they can express that to, you know, a lot of the other guys. We've got some young guys that haven't experienced that uh, in our league. And, and, and quite frankly, there's some veteran guys that really haven't experienced that in our league. And so their ability to, to uh, you know, communicate to the guys exactly what it takes to, you know, to play at a high level, both individually and, and collectively as a group, uh, I think is, is, is a big part of what they can bring to our team. Yeah. And I mean, like you didn't have Alvin the first three weeks of this season, you haven't had Mike Thomas really each of the last three years. So I think, you know, you haven't gotten to see them really kind of take ownership of this group, but I do feel like over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that start to happen. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, for on the offensive side of the ball, you've seen a team look more accountable, just kind of play a little bit better, play a little bit tighter. Um, and seem like it knows what it's trying to do. And so I think that's a that's a really positive development. Yeah, Pete Carmichael Jr. better thank the Lord right now. He's got Alvin Kamara, who seems like an assistant offensive coordinator, the it way really he's does been talking. Like, yeah, <laughs> it really does feel like that. Like he's out there being like, no, we need to run more. And then and Pete's like, I was yeah, just talking call. to the O-line and they said this. And maybe we yeah. should get this play from Mike right now. And I, I don't know. Yeah, just that kind of input. I don't think there's anything wrong with it either. We talked about that last time too, and like the the collaboration kind of uh, what's going on right now. But yeah, to have someone like an Alvin Kamara that can be a voice with the coach and with the players, that's awesome. 
Yeah, and I got to catch up with Alvin uh, here for a you know quick little exclusive combo in the locker room yesterday, and uh, he, I asked him you know about that same question. Here's what he had to say: We were talking to Da today, and he said that he's seen you and Mike, especially step up kind of as more vocal leaders over the past few years. Obviously, you both came in as rookies; they were veterans, kind of from that. Is that something that kind of happens naturally, or is that something you've been kind of making a uh, kind of focused effort? It's just, it's just kind of it's just kind of natural. Like oh, there was no meeting where it's like oh, Alvin. And Mike, you guys need to be more vocal. It's just, you know, I, I think throughout the years, I've always picked my spots to like, all right, well, you know, I always lead with my play, but sometimes shit, somebody got to say something. If nobody's going to say nothing, then I'm going to say it, you know? And I and it's not even that. It's just more so like, I don't like, I don't like waiting around for anything, let alone like, you know, something that needs to be corrected or addressed or fixed. So um, I think, I guess that's, that's what we call leadership. So, you know, just saying, addressing things when they need to be address instead of just letting it letting it roll over and and, and kind of uh, snowball into something bigger. Yeah, I mean, kind of like the, you know, when you came out in the post game and kind of jokingly calling people out, you know, yeah, is, that, yeah. is that all part of that? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just that's just me, you know, I mean, they, they those guys get it from me off camera, you know, so... Uh, you know, I was just kind of keeping it light uh, post game. We, we had a good win, so I didn't want to go too hard. But uh, I think it's just it's just it's just friendly and, and it's, it's competition, and it's you know guys know that um, you know they're 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 capable. Those guys are capable, um, and we we hold each other accountable. So. Appreciate it. Yeah, and to me, it's like everyone wants to talk about the coaching and they want to talk about accountability and stuff like that. And like when people say, oh, that player needs to be held accountable for this. It's like, what what are they going to do? Bring him to the side and make him do push-ups every day? Like that's not how NFL teams really operate. You need to be accountable to each other. And I think that it's, you know, it's hard to kind of get those glimpses inside the locker room to have an idea of like, okay, who is doing that, right? Like you knew when Drew was here that nothing was getting past Drew. Like the buck was going to stop there. And if something needed to be said, he was going to say it. And I think that's true of Derek Carr as, as much as you could hope for, for a first year quarterback in a building, but you know, it's, it, it, that's earned, right? That respect is earned. And while I think people respect Derek Carr, there's just something to be said for guys who have been here since 2017, who, who know what this team is like when it's on, when it's on a roll and winning games. And Alvin is that guy. And so I just think that from, from the perspective of the saints, and this season going the way they want it to go, having the players like him and Mike and those guys, and obviously you have the guys on defense, you have the DeMarios, you have the Cams, you're not worried about that. But on offense, you need those guys. And I think it's it's a good thing for them that they have it. No, and the, the offense definitely needs that too. You, you mentioned Derek Carr, a uh, great guy, seems like you know someone that the team wants to follow kind of thing. But he's also a new face that's that's around where Alvin and Mike have been obviously around this squad for a while and have you know more of that time and sweat equity already put in and man you you i mean it's easy to see why people want to follow at least Alvin Kamara Mike T is a little more we see as reserved i'm sure he's much more different around his teammates especially you know there there's so many guys that look up to him on this team it's the same thing with Alvin Kamara like there's guys that come into this can't wait to work with these players because they've idolized them from their years in the, in the league and what they've done. And I don't know, the Kamara is definitely to me like that perfect balance of a guy that, you know, has the football IQ, the relatability with the players, and also that same relationship with the coach to be able to go up to Pete and be like, Hey man, the O-line's feeling this right now. That that's huge to me. Yeah. And you talk about Derek Carr. It's like the, the things Mike Thomas and Alvin can stand up and say in the locker room, <laughs> Derek Carr just can't say, which is like Mike got up and said, this isn't what we do here. We don't, we don't lose like this. We don't play like this. Don't get in the habit of playing like this. Cause that's not what we do here. Well, Derek can say that, but he doesn't know he wasn't here. Right. So, be like, like, shut up. You were in LA. Exactly. And, they, and they weren't doing very well. Right. He was in Oakland and he was in Vegas. Right. And it's not like he can say like, Oh yeah, I know what it's like to win 15 games and go to this go to the playoffs and even go to the Super Bowl, right? Like he's never done that. So, you know, it just, it takes, I think it's just, you look at it from a holistic perspective and I just think I, I appreciate what's going on there. The other topic that I think we can get into quickly before we go to break, and we bring in Sean is Kendra Miller, who I think is really intriguing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how quickly they've grown confidence in him. We, I talked to him after the game and he said that there's, clearly more confidence growing in him quickly from the coaching staff. And the evidence of that is 
they cut Tony Jones, who now is in Arizona because he got claimed on waivers for the second straight season after week five. That's the, that's think, think about that. Last week, last year, they played the Seahawks. He got cut and then got claimed to go to Seattle for starting in week six. This year, they play the Patriots. He gets cut and then he gets claimed by the, the Cardinals to go out there in week six. So there's something about week six and birds that, that really is just finding Tony Jones. But you know, one thing that's interesting with rookies and we heard and Alvin talked about this too, is it takes time. Like you're not just picking stuff up like that. Like you gotta, he, he said he made it look a lot easier for him as a rookie, but there was times where he was kind of getting, getting pushed in the right direction. And I thought this comment here uh, was interesting. Man, he, he, he's learning, you know, um, he's figuring it out. It's, it takes, it takes some time to kind of get your feet up under you and understand why and when and, and where, but he, he's kind of, he's, he's figuring that out and he's putting the pieces together. I mean, he has the ability, you know, um, but you know, you gotta, you, it's like I said, you gotta put the pieces together of why, when, and where I think it, it, I made it look easier than I, than I, than it was for me. But, um, my rookie year, I was, shoot, it, it took me, to probably like game 14 to really figure out why and where, you know what I'm saying, and when. Uh, other than that, it was Ted Ginn and, and, and uh, B. Cole and, and Drew pushing me which way to go and Mark telling me what to do. And, you know, so um, I think Kend- he, he, Kendrick's figuring it out. And, then, you know, I'm an open book. Whenever he has questions, I, 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 no worry. I'm going to tell him what, what he got. Um, so he's figuring it out. I'm excited to, to see him, um, you know, get some more opportunities. Did Alvin yes, give was, a Brandon Coleman shout out? Yes, that was a Brandon Coleman reference. B. Cole. Yeah, not not to be confused with Cole B, which would be Cole Beasley. <laughs> it was B. Cole, yes. But yeah, I think that's when you're looking at Kendra and you're talking about a guy who has just played in his third career game. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, give him 20 carries, right? Like You got to trust him in those situations. And I think he has earned some of that trust, but there's still some equity to go there uh, but I did think that was an interesting take from Alvin because you look back at his rookie year and be like oh yeah he had it down right away I'm like eh. yeah even he says he didn't really have it till week 14. He definitely made Adrian Peterson obsolete. He sure did we <laughs> got a good got a good meme out of it while he was here but all right let's wrap up that segment this is inside black and gold we're gonna bring in Sean Pendergast from Sports Radio 610 out in Houston to give us the lowdown on what the Saints should expect from the Texans I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noack. While Steve at Steve Geller, WWL. We'll be right back on Inside Black and Gold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. back here on inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak as always alongside steve geller and we are bringing in sean pendergast from sports radio 610 in houston he's the host of pain and pendergast and also the hutopia football podcast with john McLean. you can also follow him on twitter at sean t pendergast how you doing sean thanks for uh, i'm doing great it's great to see you guys look very excited for uh for a little week six matchup. If the Texans finally are playing games with juice this year, like if by week six or seven, the last couple of years, you know, we've been looking at mock drafts. So this is kind of fun oh, to be able to actually look at power rankings and spreads and not have them be double digit spreads and things like that. That's where we are in the rebuild right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we were, I was talking to Steve about that on our last episode. And, you know, I think there's certain teams at this point in the year where you can see they're probably a year or two away. You have the, you have, but you feel like you have the right coaching staff in there you have the right scheme in there and they're just teams that just refuse to roll over, even though it's like, you, you know, you're not expecting Houston to, you know, go to the Super Bowl this year. They, but you do want to see a team that gets into the second half of the season and feels like it's competitive for a playoff spot. And I think that's what you have with Houston now. And I think any team going to face that team feels like, okay, yeah, we have our work cut out for us. Look, it wasn't that way after the first two weeks. They got blown out in weeks one and two, and the week two blowout was at home against the Colts, who were almost as bad as the Texans last year. So um, so it wasn't feeling that way two weeks in. 
But I think the the win against Jacksonville in Jacksonville in week three, I think woke a lot of people up. They won by 20 in Jacksonville. And then the Steelers win two weeks ago, I think, was one where people really sat up. Not that this is a great version of the Steelers, but the, the Texans carried that game from wire to wire. They were up 16-0 at the half. They were up 30-6 to at the end of the game, and they dominated that football game. Um, and then last week against Atlanta, that game could have gone either way. So, yeah, I, I think – and look, I know we'll talk about C.J. Stroud. He's the big catalyst for all of this. D'Amico Ryans, I think, was a great hire as the new head coach here. We'd love D'Amico here in Houston. C.J. Stroud's been the catalyst for for all of it. But I think, yeah, Jeff, the 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 looking at the Texans' schedule the rest of the year, I, I think you look at the Texans in a vacuum and go, okay, yeah, that's an improved football team. They got young pieces on both sides of the ball that are that are either playmakers already or are going to be playmakers for them. But you look at the way this schedule lays out. Derek Carr might be the best quarterback. Well, let me take that back. Assuming Joe Burrow's legs are still working in week 10, Derek Carr is probably the second. He might be the second best quarterback they face the rest of the year. Their schedule is not that difficult the rest of of the season. They already play in the AFC South, which is probably not as bad as as it's been, but it's very balanced. They cross over with the NFC South, obviously, which those are games that are four winnable games for the Texans. And then they play a last place schedule on those other variable games. So, um, so yeah, I, I think we're feeling like, just like you said, I think it's probably a year away from feeling wet, like, wow, this team could be playing deep into January. But I absolutely think the playoffs are in play for this team based on kind of how expectations have changed over the last three weeks. You know, it's funny you say that about the the Texans schedule. You look at that. That's what we were doing when the Saints schedule came out too, looking sure. at what what quarterbacks is this team going to have to face and it was like the biggest scare really was it seemed Trevor Lawrence yeah. on the schedule at the time. Obviously now, yeah, we'll get into more with CJ Stroud, who's been so impressive uh, with his rookie start, obviously getting all the accolades, not even throwing a pick yet right now. What has it been about his game that's meshed so well already? Well, I think a few things. One, let's just start with him personally. He's a great kid. He is uh, he like I know probably gets thrown around like student of the game. Like if you know, like if there's a quarterback that comes in that's that just feels like they're a good guy or whatever, you feel like, well, he must be a student of the game. Look at all the numbers he put up in college. CJ is notorious for all the film work that he puts in. He's a real football nerd, you know, like I say that in a good way. Yeah. Um, and he, I think the I think Steve, the biggest thing that has not necessarily been a surprise but probably a surprise to maybe people around the league, given that S2 test, that S2 test that came out, you know, with where he scored in like the 18th percentile, which was, as it turns out, like, I mean, CJ has CJ, what CJ is doing, there should be a gigantic for, for lease sign in front of this S2 headquarters now based on what he's doing. That test is bunk when it comes to football, but I think it's how quickly he's picked things up. Well, you guys saw him in the preseason a little bit, not too much. Uh, just a few series in that game. But if you go back and look at CJ at the beginning of training camp where he was making a lot of rookie mistakes, holding onto the ball too long in practice, a lot of plays in practice, you can't hit him because he's got the red jersey on. But a lot of plays in practice, you go, that would have been a sack. That would have been a sack. That would have been a sack. And I think he's just come, he's come so far so quickly. And you look at him and you go, when you, when you looked at him early in the season, you go, okay, what are the things that are wrong right now? We know he's got great accuracy and the physical talent is there. But early in the season, he wasn't getting into the huddle quick enough or getting plays executed quick enough. The operation was slow. The Texans burned all three of their timeouts with like eight minutes to go in the first half against the Ravens in the opener because he wasn't getting things going quickly enough. That hasn't happened since that game. And then you look after the first two games, he's taken 11 sacks in two games. Granted, playing behind a patchwork offensive line, but still, when you get to 11 sacks in two games, some of that's on the quarterback, especially a young quarterback. He hasn't taken a sack in the last three games, and that's behind an offensive line. They haven't played the same combination of guys in a single game yet this year, and they've been missing Laramie Tunsil for most of the year, their Pro Bowl left tackle. So I think the biggest thing to me is just how quick a study he is, how quickly he picks things up, how well he's connected with his teammates. He has his teammates over to dinner almost every night at his place. Um, He's just, I mean, he is a, he is a dream. And it's crazy to think that there were a lot of people in Houston, present company included, who were mad that the Texans beat the Colts in week 18 because I wanted Bryce Young. You know, like I've eaten a lot of crow over that one, and I'm happy to do it, you know. Um, So, um, so I think that's probably been the biggest thing. He's obviously incredibly impressive with his throws and the anticipation that he throws with is next level. It's that's like year two and year three stuff. If you watch some of his throws on the all 22, like on that back view from behind the line of scrimmage and the ball's coming off his hand and the receiver's not even out of their break yet. 
that's stuff that is like it, it to be doing that in like week three and four as an NFL quarterback behind a in a muddy pocket, you know, like is is just next level stuff. So in a city where we, we you know, we thought Deshaun Watson was going to be the guy here forever. And then that whole saga played out. It feels like at least early. It's early. But it right. feels like at least early we might have landed on something better with C.J. Stroud. Yeah, you know, it's, it is funny because you, you look back at the Saints and it did seem like the Saints were kind of mired in this me- mediocrity for a while. And then one really, really good draft can be enough yeah. to kind of, you know, surge you out of that. And the Saints had it in 2017. They got Alvin Kamara. They got Marcus Williams. They got all these guys. And then all of a sudden, that's what kind of fueled them through the next few seasons. It kind of feels, it's obviously different for the Texans this year because anytime you land that quarterback and feel like yeah. you got the right one, that can, you know, that's like jet fuel for your franchise. Yeah. But it does feel like even independent of that, you look at Will Anderson, they traded up to get him, I believe. And, uh, you know, all these, there's several other p- rookies who are having a big impact. You know, is that kind of how it feels? Because it does seem like, you know, from a, from afar, it seems like they've really nailed this draft. No doubt. Yeah, Jeff, it's, it's, it's absolutely what it's been. You know, Will Anderson, Tank Dell, who's not going to play in this game because he's in concussion protocol, but the the kind of the small wide receiver who you think is a slot receiver to look at him. I love Tank Dell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every fantasy owner did on that week against Jacksonville for sure. (laughs) Um, But Tank Dell, Henry Toa Toa, the inside linebacker from Alabama, has he's a starting linebacker on this team now. He's their leading tackler. He's been a real nice find for them here. And then I even think last year's class is the one that. If C.J. Stroud weren't playing so well right now, that last year's class is the one that would be drawing a lot of scrutiny for Nick Casario, the general manager here, because his two first-round picks were Derek Stingley Jr., who, when he's played, has been good. But as you guys know, in Louisiana, Derek Stingley Jr., he's you know he's a bit paper mache uh, when it comes to the injuries, and at least he has been since 2019. He's out with a hamstring injury again, and then Kenyon Green, the guard they drafted out of Texas A&M, has been a disaster, and he's out for the year with an injury. Against too. the Saints. Yeah, that's the, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. He's holding his arm. Yeah, on that one pass rush, he was gone two days after that for the rest of the year. He apparently came into camp with an injury that they thought they were kind of playing with fire a little bit. But that that draft class, that draft class actually has been pretty decent, except the two first rounders. Unlike the Stroud Will Anderson class, the Stingley Kenyon Green class has been very questionable. But they got Jalen Petrie out of that draft, who's been really good at safety yeah. for them. They got John Mechie the third, who uh, was in cancer treatments last year, but he started to now get into the mix as a wide receiver for this team. They really like Mechie, Christian Harris from Alabama. Hey, this just in—they really like Alabama guys here in Houston. But Christian <laughs> Harris, the linebacker, Damian Pierce, the running back a handful of other guys too who've seen the field. That's exactly what it feels like. And it, and it's, it feels very acute, this young core that they're putting together, because just a couple of years before that, it was very veteran laden team. You know, it was a lot of guys who were, they were older as a JJ Watt era kind of guys. And and they traded for Laramie Tunsil, who's now an older player. And, and Deandre Hopkins at that time was six, seven years in those were your linchpin sort of guys. And then I, I don't need to, t- I mean, we could do a whole separate podcast on the Jack Easterby, Bill O'Brien era here that took this team down into the depths of hell. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal, but it left the Texans with no cap space and no draft picks. So in 2021, where their rookie class, their, their first rookie they picked was Davis Mills with the 67th pick. And a lot of the other previous picks from the years before hadn't worked out. It was really weird to like, not weird, but it was very, uh, you know, it was a lot of jealousy, like looking around the league going, man, like that team, that crappy team over there at least has five or six guys who they know are going to be on the team three years from now. We don't have anybody who we think will be on this team three years from now. So it feels really good to not only find the quarterback, but string a couple draft classes together. And it feels like they've, they found like the right kind of players. Like they've, they found guys that are like real, like they, they, they've got a dog mentality to them. I think D'Amico, has really helped out with that in the evaluation, being a former player and a former dog, really, himself. <laughs> I think he's really done a good job. When you guys see the game on Sunday, I think you'll see a lot of the young players have have some real, like, uh, like alpha qualities to them. One of the big surprises, I think, this year, and I guess you mentioned it, it probably stems from issues with the offensive line. There's really been no run game for the young quarterback to lean on. Uh, Damian Pierce, I know, has struggled and really not much behind him either. Yeah, it's been bad. It's and, and this this is maybe the the worst thing I could say. The run game that they've put out there this year is worse than anything that I've seen with Pep Hamilton as the OC last year or Tim Kelly as the OC the year before. It's been really really bad statistically and aesthetically. It's been bad, and that that's unexpected because you know Bobby Slowick, who I don't think has done a bad job. Like I think 
the injuries on the offensive line have there's been zero continuity on the offensive line. Right. This offense is one where continuity is a big part of it. You know, the five guys working as one sort of thing with the offensive line. So I don't think it's entirely like pointing the finger at somebody. I think the football gods have had something to do with it with all these injuries, too. That said, I mean, the other teams aren't going to feel sorry for you when you trot this horrible run game out there. And it's looked it's looked bad. And, and I'll say this for the first time. Damian Pierce is probably catching some heat from the fans and the media this week just because, look, in this day and age, you guys know there's so much content and so much available out there for us to make us feel like we're smarter watching football. If you subscribe to NFL Plus, like I'm sure we all do, you got the All-22. So, like, now all of a sudden we're all Bill Walsh watching this stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so people are cutting up their videos and putting it up. Like, look, Damian had a hole to the left, and it'd be, he'd still be running if he ran right, there. <laughs> Which I think there's some merit to that because Damian's got a style that doesn't feel like it fits a, a, a Kubiak Shanahan offense all that well. He's a bull in a china shop, but he's catching some flack for the first time. And D'Amico Ryan's fed into it a little bit this week in his Monday press conference when he was asked about the run game. And D'Amico said, and obviously I'm paraphrasing, but he said he thought the blocking was good. He thought the guys were getting their assignments. When he talked about what needed to be improved, he said, I think we just need to make more guys miss. I think we need to, you know, all the things that he was critical of were running back based. Right. All of the things that he was complimentary of were offensive line based. So I think okay. there's probably a subtle message, maybe even not so yeah. subtle, to Damian Pierce, who had all the carries, by the way, in that loss to the Falcons. Devin Singletary didn't touch the ball one time. Okay. Um, so, I, yeah, the run game is is bad. I mean, and, and I don't know. I don't know that there's anything except time that's going to improve it, honestly. Yeah, I think I did see one critique on Twitter that was like, he just runs directly at people every time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like he's magnetically drawn to human beings, which is fun. It, it'll win you the uh, the angry scepter that Kyle yeah, Brandt right, has. Right. Yeah, I mean, he won that last year. So, I mean, like, if Damien's goal is to win the scepter for the angry run, then he's got the right tactic. He's going about it the right way. I myself would like for his goal to be to get, I don't know, like four yards a carry one of these games. He hasn't been over 3.6 yards per carry in any of the games so far this year. And again, a lot of that's not his fault. He's getting hit. I mean, the line of scrimmage moves on him before the ball's even touching his hands in the backfield. You know, like it's 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 not been good. So, And this is a good defense. You guys know. I mean, I, I like the Saints have not played a murderer's row of teams, but they've done what good teams are supposed to do against those teams. Defensively, they've taken care of business so far. So my last question, uh, and you know, Steve may have others, so don't don't mm-hmm. take that from me. But uh, you know, so obviously Tank Dell doesn't seem like he's going to play. It's you know, typically when you go into the concussion protocol, you can guarantee a week out. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of you know, it takes it's pretty difficult to clear those hurdles in one week. So mm-hmm. without Tank Dell, Robert Woods is questionable. Although I think he's just dealing, he's mostly just resting based on what yeah. the injury report said. But who are the wide receivers that you yeah. expect to step up? Because obviously Noah Brown's on IR. So who, you know, is it, is it Robert Woods? Is it John Mechie? Like, what, what do you expect? Well, Nico Collins is right. eighth in the league in receiving yards right now. Right. So he's, he's, been, he's been their most productive player from a yardage standpoint. Tank Dell's their most explosive player in terms of being able to stretch the field. But Nico's been awesome this year. I mean, Nico's got a lot of explosive plays. There was a point not too long ago in the season where in terms of 20-plus yard catches, it was Justin Jefferson and then Nico Collins, you know. And, and so he's, he's got a lot of that. They've CJ Stroud has got a real good chemistry with Nico Collins on a lot of the crossers and quick slants. And Nico is a guy who's big. He's strong. He's got an extra gear that you wouldn't think a guy his size would have. So when he catches the ball, you know, if he catches an eight yard slant, it it typically turns into 14 or 15 yards because he's either going to get he's either, you know, either gotten himself nice and open or he's going to run over whatever small defensive back is on him. So it's it's an, it's incumbent upon Nico Collins to have a big game in this one. John Mechie is just kind of now getting into the swing of things. I would expect Mechie to get some of the snaps that Tank Dell would have gotten. That's what seemed to happen last week once Dell uh, went into concussion protocol right before the half of the game against the Falcons. Um, Noah Brown is actually back at practice this week, so I would expect – yeah, yeah, he was back at practice yesterday, so I would expect him – to see the field he was starting at the beginning of the year ahead of tank Dell. So, um, and then yeah, Robert Woods will play Robert Wood, the rib injury he's listed with. He actually, he actually suffered it in the Falcons game, left the game for like three plays to the point where they announced it. Like Robert Woods is questionable with a rib injury. And then three plays later, he's back in and he's playing. He doesn't <laughs> practice on Wednesdays anyways, cause he's 90. Right. So um, yeah. So uh, 
that I would, ex- and Dalton Schultz has become a bigger part of the offense. So I, you know, Dalton Schultz who caught the touchdown that put the Texans ahead against the Falcons late in the game last week, he seems to be kind of hitting his stride and in, in building some chemistry with um, CJ Stroud. So they've got guys who can catch the ball and they've used Pierce out of the backfield too. Pierce has shown himself to be a pretty decent receiver in the screen game and the little angle routes that you run with running back sometimes out of the slot um, and Devin Singletary too. So they've got guys, they've got capable guys. I think what they miss with Tank Dell is the, the downfield threat. And it's not even hitting Tank Dell downfield. It's the threat of Tank Dell clearing out the middle of the field for those crossers from Robert Woods and Nico Collins. So that'll be, I mean, Saints have a, you guys know, I mean, they've got a, they've got a really good secondary. And I, that's my, probably my biggest concern is do the Texans have receivers who can who can get consistently get open if there's no run game on Sunday? Question about uh, Tunsil. How's his knee doing? I know he's kind of uh, been dealing with that. Didn't practice the other day, Man. but I, I'm just assuming they were kind of resting him in preparation for this Sunday, right? I yeah. I don't like look. The, this knee injury to Tunsil came out of nowhere in week two. Like nobody had heard about it. He played in week one against the right. Ravens. Then he pops up on the injury report. In, on, in week three or week two, sorry. And, and I actually texted a friend of mine, you know, who's one of my contacts with the team. I said, is this a, is this a knee injury or is this just a, you know, Laramie's been known to take a practice off here and there, you know, veteran guy. And everybody, I, everybody I talked to thought that this was just Laramie kind of like just taking it easy for a week. And then he'd be back at practice on Friday. And then all of a sudden he's not traveling with, or no, that was a home game. All of a sudden he's not playing against the Colts. Right. And then he didn't play again. And, and then he didn't play again in week three and four. And you started to talk to people said, no, he's actually in a lot of pain right now with this knee injury. So he toughed it out against the Falcons. He didn't practice yesterday. They're probably practicing right now as we're recording this. So we'll see what the injury report says for Thursday. All I've heard for this week is he's expected to play. Right. The Texans are on a bye week the week after this. So um, so hopefully he can get well. But, yeah, I mean, they've got a lot committed to Laramie Tunsil. They made him the highest-paid tackle in football in the offseason. They made him a captain last year in the middle of the season when Brandon Cooks went AWOL on the team because <laughs> they fired his guy, Jack Easterby. And uh, and so, yeah, Laramie has really taken on a leadership role with the team. He's, I mean, he's, he's their best player. At least he's their most decorated right. player, I would say. So I would expect he plays against the Saints on Saturday or on Sunday. But nobody, I didn't think he was going to miss week two. So right, all right, bets are right. off when it comes to Laramie Tunsil. We'll see. This This I do know, even without Laramie Tunsil, they found a way with this offensive line to at least keep C.J. Stroud up, right? And C.J.'s got yeah. a lot to do with that. They haven't run the football with anybody yet. Take Tunsil, they could put Will Shields out there and Dermani Dawson at center, and I don't know that they'd <laughs> run the football, but they'd keep C.J. Stroud upright, whoever's out there. So, So we'll see what happens. Yeah, the good old Jack Easterby era, like <laughs> the most bizarre era in sports. But I, I did lie. I have one more question. And That's okay. it, so, when, you know, the Texans were one of the teams that were deep into the Sean Payton sweepstakes. And for a while, yeah. it seemed like, oh, they have two first round picks. Maybe this is what makes the most sense. Maybe that number 12 pick, see, maybe it's on the table. And, you know, they ended up trading him to Denver. Uh, I'm curious, what were, what were kind of your uh, indications during that time? And how did you feel about it? And obviously, it seems like they ultimately got the guy they were they were looking at uh, we, yeah i we, look sean payton I, the only reason i wanted sean payton is because all of a sudden we'd be a place the nfl network would want to come for training camp that was it i i didn't i and i'm not diminishing i'm sean payton's obviously a, was a great coach with the saints i don't know what he is now I, I i felt like that denver thing was a cash grab all along especially when you watch that whole thing play out and the role that colin cowherd played clearly played in all of it in terms of putting the the smoke out there about payton and helping build the payton market up I mean, he's openly talking about, I was off the drinks with Sean Payton, and we got talking about blah, 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 blah. He was open about how tight the two of them were when Payton was at Fox. And now all of a sudden, Payton does a Zoom call with the Texans, a first interview. And three days later, Cowherd is sitting there having these random takes about how weird and bizarre the Texans' ownership is. And you can just tell how bizarre they are, I'm told, even on Zoom calls. Like, oh, who would have told you that, Colin? Wow. Mm. So we really soured on Peyton here when it felt like he was kind of using these back channels to really kind of trash the Texans. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, like as far as – like Peyton can go screw himself for all I care. I hope Denver loses (laughs) every game this year. That's how now, too. Yeah, he can can lose every game this year. Dude, when I saw Denver's on Thursday Night Football tonight, I already texted my wife. I'm like, I'm going to be up late. I'm just going to let you know. 
And she's like, well, that's the Chiefs and the Broncos. Like, it's not going to be a close game. I'm like, yeah, I know. And it's going to be awesome to watch. I can't wait. I hope they hang 70 on his ass again, like the Dolphins did three weeks ago. So, yeah, that's the uh, – yeah, Jeff and Steve, that's my feelings on Sean Payton. Get bent. All right. That yeah. question, question and answer definitely. I'm glad you time. asked. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I did too. All right. John Pendergast from Sports Radio 610 over in Houston. Check him out on Payne and Pendergast and also the Hutopia football podcast, which he co-hosts with John McLean. You can check him out on Twitter at Sean T. Pendergast. Thanks so much for the time, man. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun, guys. Uh, safe travels to, uh, to uh, Houston this week. Yeah, a 25-minute flight. Can't wait. Never know, man. <laughs> Safe travels. Take, take the, take the, take the well wishes. You never know these days. Safe travels, baby. Safe travels. Thank you, All right. Sean. All right, thanks, guys. All right, good stuff. That was Sean Pendergast again. Thanks so much for the time. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. He's at Steve Geller WWE. You can follow the show at Saints underscore Pod. We got one more second. We'll be coming back. We're going to hear from Mickey Loomis and what he had to say about Pete Carmichael, which I want to use to kind of dispel one seemingly commonly held notion that I do not think was true at all. So we're going to get into that. And we're going to pick some X factors for week six against the Houston Texans. We've been doing this on offense and defense. I think it's been good. No one's complained about it. So we're going to keep doing it. But all right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can also check us out on YouTube at WWL Sports. Stick around. On Inside Black and Gold, Saints are three and two. They are going to Houston for a short trip. Might be the shortest trip. I don't know, Steve. Is this the shortest road trip the Saints go on? Yeah, I mean, you would think. I don't know the maybe the Tampa? Tampa ones. Tampa's pretty short, but I think this is even. This has got to be quicker. Well, it's it's weird because you you don't have to if you're driving. Tampa's way farther. No, right, if right, flying, exactly. You can just go right over the water, which you do. And yeah, maybe people didn't know that you fly over the water. It's a, it's pretty short. Uh, so I don't know. It's one of those yeah, two. Either way. You have to switch time zones there. Houston, you don't at least. That's a good point. That's a good point. Houston, yeah, it's in Central. It's right. by so, far the easiest road trip of the year. It's basically just in your backyard. And so, yeah, I mean, Saints are going to go out there and they're going to try to humble CJ Stroud a little bit, which they're trying to pump him up now. I almost feel like that's, we talked about this in the open. I almost feel like that's kind of what the plan is. We're going to make everyone be like, CJ Stroud is great. And then, when the defense goes out there and dominates him, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, the defense is the best thing ever because even the defense <laughs> told me how right. great CJ Stroud was. Cam's talking about eating a five-piece or six-piece with, you know, there's six sacks in the game afterwards kind of thing, and he's all like, yeah, we we took that rookie down, whatever. Um, yeah, I would love to see that, obviously. It's really unbelievable to think, though, that not only the Stroud has been so protective of the football, the dude hasn't even gotten sacks since the la- the second game of the season. Well, I think those those things go hand in hand, right? I think you are seeing the uh, the 49ers offense scheme in ways that protect their young quarterback as you're supposed to, right? That's the, that's what you should do. Um, you know, the other thing that we heard from Dennis Allen multiple times is, you know, they're when they're scouting the Texans, a big part of their scouting is actually going back and looking at the Saints 49ers matchup from last year. You know, CJ Stroud didn't play in it, but D'Amico Ryan's was the defensive coordinator and Bobby Slowick was the offense was the pass game coordinator for the 49ers. Now, obviously, D'Amico Ryan's is the head coach. Uh, I can't recall if he's a defensive coordinator, but either way, it's a D'Amico Ryan's defense. And right. Bobby Slowick is the offense coordinator for the for the 49ers. So that game, and, and if you want to look at it and say, yeah, the Saints got shut out in that game. <laughs> so you got to figure something out there. But they did hold that pretty dynamic 49ers offense to 13 points. So clearly something fits the eye of the Saints. But that's a good segue into... You know, this thing that I want to dispel, which is I've had a bunch of people, and I wouldn't say a bunch, but I've had a non-zero number of people come to me and say they were disappointed that the Saints played well offensively against the Patriots because they thought that if the Saints had put up another dud, that maybe Pete Carmichael would have been fired and they could get a better offense coordinator slash play caller in there. Wow. And and I just, I, I don't feel like that's, really in the cards. And I have evidence for that, but uh, what, what do you think about that? When you hear that? I think we've, we've seen with this team, uh, the way of their run from top to bottom kind of deal. These brash decisions are, are not coming in season unless things I think were so completely dire that you needed to make some kind of 
instantaneous move, but it's that just hasn't been the case with this squad. And I, and I don't think that every anybody in-house is overreacting as much as people out of house kind of thing. Right. Like if Alvin had gone up to Pete and said, run this play. And he was like, shut up, Alvin, sit down. <laughs> right. You're a player. I'm the coach. <laughs> right. That's not what's happening. But anyway, so we had Mickey Loomis on WWL. Mike Koss interviewed him and asked him about Pete Carmichael. And I think his answer is pretty telling about, you know, and like you can say he's just saying the right thing, but like he's not going to go out there and lie to you. So anyway, here, here's that answer. I get it. It's one game. But you take that one game and celebrate it. It must be gratifying to see him be able to go up and do that. Yeah, look, you know, Pete's a, he's a great offensive coordinator. He really is. And he's, he's, a, he's a really good play caller. He's had a lot of success. And, and, you know, when you're not having success, that, you know, that bothers him more than anyone. And yet, man, I, I've always had confidence in him. We have confidence in Pete. Our, our players have confidence in him. And so, yes, it's good. It's good to have some success. And yet I think that there was, he would be the first one to tell you that there were some opportunities that we missed, you know, that could easily, we could have easily scored another 12 or 14 points in that game, you know, if we execute properly. And so we've got, we've got lots of things to work on, but it's good to work on things off of a win as opposed to working on things off of a loss. There's a few things there. And, and again, like I said, you know, you can point to it and say, yeah, he's going to say that. Of course, he's going to say that. But I would say, no, if you are a GM and you are on the fringe about firing a play caller or, or forcing some changes about your offensive coordinator or play caller, you're not going out there and putting a soundbite out there that says, I think Pete is a great offensive coordinator and play caller because people don't like to look dumb. People don't go out there and put themselves in situations where they're going to look stupid by going back on their word two weeks down the road. And, and I don't say this as to say that everything's perfect with the Saints offense or that Pete doesn't have to do things better. I'm saying this as if you are sitting there holding your breath, waiting for the Saints to fire Pete Carmichael, you're going to suffocate. Because it's not going to happen. You know, this is a pass-fail flat, in my opinion, right? One of the reasons Dennis Allen's going to go out there and pump up his offensive coordinator, one of the reasons Mickey Lewis is going to go out there and pump up his offensive coordinator is because whether it's good or bad, it's his job. You know, and at the end of the season, if it doesn't get better and it's in the Saints' te- offense is in the mud, then, yeah, I think that's going to be a clean house situation. But... You know, Dennis Allen, I think, is aware that it's like, no, this is the it's, this is a ride or die kind of kind of situation here. You better figure out how to ride, because <laughs> I don't think this team like they could have gone out there and and stunk it up against the Patriots. I don't think they were making changes. I really don't. No, and everybody wants to point to, oh, you know, uh, what's his, um, who was the play caller in the preseason? Sorry, Ronald Curry. Yeah, everyone wants to anoint him the next, you know, the, the play caller. Now it's like, how do you think that's going to resolve anything? immediately, you know, kind of thing. Well, you know, and, and my issue isn't, you know, it's like, I like Ronald Curry. I think he has a good a future as an offense quarter in this league. I don't think they're going to be able to retain him much longer if they don't give him a, a promotion. That said, this idea that you're going to slot Ronald Curry in there and suddenly that's going to be better. Like, that's what the thing that people say is like, oh, well, yeah, if you get rid of Pete Carmichael, everything's going to be fixed. It's like, I, he's a, the passing game coordinator now. <laughs> like right. it's not like he has right. no role in this offense. It's not like he has no say in how things operate. Um, like there's just as good of a chance that he goes in there as a first time offensive coordinator slash play caller and struggles, right? People seem to think that it's like, if they get rid of one guy, it's going to be better. It right. could also be worse, <laughs> right? There's a devil, you know, devil, you don't situation going on here. And so I, I don't know. I just think it's funny that, there's people out there who are actively rooting for the Saints to be bad so that they can be right rather than just supporting the team and saying, like, that's toxic fanhood turned up to 11. And, like, it's everyone's right to watch and appreciate a game however they want. But, like, you watch sports to have a good time, right? Like, that's it's supposed to be entertainment. There's a really weird disconnect going on between, like, supporting a team and actively rooting for your favorite team to be bad. That's and I don't think that that's a big segment of the fan base, but the fact that it exists at all, it's like, come on, guys. Right now, I understand fans to an extent. They're sick of what we saw with this offense last season. It's totally different this year with a new signal caller. But yeah, we're we're still haven't seen the explosion that we've wanted. It was a great yeah. outing in New England, um, but there's still 
the the consistency that's what we need to see happen we need to see this offense go out have another three four touchdown performance obviously then the torches will maybe be put away for p carmichael for a week you know well, see, here's the thing, though, like, and that's not what I'm like, I get being fed up and I get being frustrated. And I think being critical is more than fair. But what I find strange and the part that I can't get my, my head around or get behind is this idea that, like, there is a segment that don't want it to get better. This team going out and th- get, having a four touchdown performance would actually disappoint them because they are more invested in being right than the team being good. And I'm just like, that's so bizarre to me. Like, why would you want the team? It's like, so you are so convinced that Pete Carmichael is not the answer that if he went out there and actually got this offense humming, you'd be like, damn it, which is crazy. Anyway, I hope that's not the case. I hope if you're sitting there and thinking that to yourself, like, yeah, that's me. Take a second and take a step back and, and ask yourself why you watch football to begin with. Why you are a Saints fan. <laughs> I want us to tank for Caleb. Yeah, right. I I don't. I am proud of a team that does not actively put itself in a situation where you expect it to lose. Anyway. Hey, man, we got got Jake Hayner juicing up for next year. Come on. Juicing up. Jake Hayner, he's almost almost ready to come back and be inactive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he's excited. At least we'll get to run some scout team. Yeah, no, actually, you know, I think there is value in that, right? I think that that is an, that is an important aspect. Like we talked to, right. I think it was Alvin, I can't recall, someone pointed out that like the scout, or Alante pointed out that the scout team is a big part of what gets them ready to face these quarterbacks, especially guys like CJ Stroud, guys you haven't played before. Someone's got to go out there and replicate it. And, you know, that I think that is an undervalued piece of an NFL team. But speaking of undervalued pieces of NFL teams, let's get into the X factors. We'll pick one on offense, one on defense, as we have been. If you want to pick a special team or feel free, but I'm not because I don't care. Although congrats to Blake groupie for winning special teams player of the week, which it does. Hey, this yeah. whole, this, that whole award setup felt like a, felt like a twist of the knife to Sean Payton because not only did Blake groupie win special teams player of the week, Greg Zuerlein won it on the AFC side for his five field goal performance in the jets victory over the Broncos. <laughs> Double pal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay. So Steve, you know, going forward, we can start on offense. You know, who would be your offensive X factor for this game? The guy who, you know, the, if, if this game was even, this is the player who, if he has a big game, can swing the results. Kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I'm looking at receiver. I, I think the run game is going to have a hard time uh, against this Houston Texans D. And to me, obviously, a little concerned about Olave dealing with the toe issue, although he was still able to catch a touchdown last week. I think that they're being cautious with him and that he'll still be able to suit up kind of deal and play Sunday. But I do think for me, I'm going to call this the Rashid Shahid game. I think Mm -hmm. the speed is going to be the main factor in this one where he ends up roasting the, uh, the Texans secondary able to uh, able to pull away from them. And I think Derek Carr has a big connection with him in this one that we've been waiting to see Uh, like, you know, 110 yard performance, I'll say. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of go. I'm gonna kind of go with Derek Carr, kind of as a placeholder for the actual real reason is you can't turn the ball over in this game. I think you know yeah. the Texans are not a dynamic offense. They're not gonna put up a ton of points, but they're also not gonna turn the ball over. We've seen that. I mean, you might be able to be that first team that forces a turnover, but you know they're they're actively avoiding situations that you know it's like they're 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 scheming in ways that like to keep things on track. So I think the only I don't want to say the only way the Saints lose this game, but you know, if you turn the ball over and you set the Texans up in short field and you give them three points, this is a good defense that the Saints are going to have trouble getting untracked against. If you're throwing interceptions and you're putting the ball on the ground, that goes for everybody. It's not just Derek Carr. I'm just I had to pick one player for the X factor, but it's really just all around like ball security, you know, being smart, not putting the ball into into windows where it's going to get, you know, tipped up in the air and picked off. Those are the type of decisions that I think will be the X factor in this game and because because again if if you end up losing the turnover battle in a game like this I think that you're going to be in trouble especially on the road against a team that has a ton of confidence right now. I mean you saw how that 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 Falcons game ended. They are more than happy to win a game 13 to 12 or whatever it was until they gave up that last second field goal. So to me that's that's my X factor is can you avoid putting the ball on the ground or throwing interceptions and if you can I think the Saints win. Yeah, that turnover ratio obviously so huge and yeah, really a hell of impressive uh, I'm, I think we mentioned it in one of the, the t- talks we've already had about, you know, going into last week, the Pats were minus five. Now they're minus eight. Going yeah. into this one, man, Houston a plus five. 
That's that's crazy to me to see a young team like that. You know, first year head coach, first year quarterback, really impressive what they're doing. Yeah, and when your quarterback is setting records for for interceptions not thrown, right? You know, I think that's yeah. Like you, the Saints, I don't think the Saints are going to be able to catch a ton of breaks like they caught last week. Like this team is playing a lot more, um, you know, prepared. Like they look like they're ready to play rather than ready to do whatever the Patriots did last week. But all right, so I think those were good. Let's uh, so Rashid Shaheed turnovers. I think on offense, I think that's solid. Now on defense, who who are you looking at? Defense, I, I'm looking at the D-line because I need somebody to put a pressure on this quarterback that's might have a, a weak offensive line, uh, like our guest was, we, we had on telling us that they had so many issues uh, rotating guys in and out. But, man, uh, Granderson, I felt like, was an X-factor last week. So I'm going to look at the guy that's been there, done that. Um, he did get a fumble recovery last week. But Cam Jordan, uh, I, w- I want to see him getting after C.J. Stroud, making him uncomfortable, and hopefully picking up, as he would say, like a two or three piece, meaning two or three sacks in this one. Yeah, Cam Jordan did get a fumble recovery, but he did not force that fumble. That was very much the Patriots just putting the ball on the ground. (laughs) I think it was a toss play that just might have been Ezekiel Elliott. I can't remember. Uh, And it just was dismissed. I mean, it was just terrible. Like, they just played terribly in every aspect. But, yeah, so I'm on the same page here. But I would say it's Carl Granderson. And, you know, we're kind of saying the same thing in that the defensive line needs to get after the quarterback. And when they can, this team, I would say, can beat anybody. I don't think you're beating the Saints if you are being harassed by the defensive line the entire game and no one has this season, right? Like you saw Carl Granderson have a huge game against the Patriots and not just against the quarterback. You're talking in the run game. He is getting upfield and he was making huge plays. And so I think he's not the quickest guy in the world. And so it's, I think it's a learning experience for a young player that is really, you know, he got a lot of playing time last year, but he didn't, he wasn't in a starting role for a majority of the season. I think he is still kind of finding his way when it comes to containment. I think he gets a little too amped up at times and gets upfield and forgets, oh man, so Jordan Love can run and he's going to get in behind me and you know, and then I got to chase him to the edge of the field and I'm this big 280 pound dude and I don't want to run that far and now I'm exhausted for the next snap. And you know, and it's like you that could have been solved by just taking a breath and being aware of what's happening around you and not getting too far upfield and kind of keeping your, keeping your angles. And so to me, that's the balance that if Carl Granderson can strike that the way Cam does, right? Like Cam has always been a run first player. If he was a, if he was a pass first player, if he was a rush first player, you probably have 30 more sacks than he does, but he plays the run first and you have to do that in a four, in a four, three scheme. And so to me, when Carl is able to do that, and be that elite presence on the right side of the line across from Cam, who is as consistent as they come, this team becomes nearly impossible to beat. So and we hear from those guys, like, like you said too, we hear from both Granderson, Cam, those guys along the uh, the defensive line, stop the run and have and some fun. <laughs> you hear it more on the interior. You yeah, hear it more sure. on the big old, the big boys. But I will say, you know, when, when I was watching the film, one thing that stood out to me is Tano Passigno. They've been using him very well in those NASCAR packages. And I think that's another one. And it, I had someone say like, well, why didn't they do this more last year? And I think because they didn't stop the run last year. You can only really get into those NASCAR packages where you move Tano inside and you get him to combo with Brzee to really fast pass rushers when you're in third and long. Because if you're going to run against that front, you're picking up four or five yards. Easy. Like It's going to work. Now, can you get eight? I don't know. Like most teams aren't going to risk that because then the fans will boo (laughs) when you only get five yards on third and eight because you ran the draw up the middle. But like if it's third and three, you can't put that setup in there. You cannot let them just pin their ears back and get upfield. And that's the advantage. When you talk about teams getting in down in distance, it, that, it, that is preferable. You know, third and seven is worlds different from third and three. Even though it's only four yards, but it is huge, a huge difference. Oh, and absolutely. when I talk about Carl Granderson playing the run, right? That's where you are successful. When you can hold them to a two-yard gain rather than a five-yard gain. Neither is a first down, but it changes the dynamic of the entire possession, the entire series of downs when you can win early. And to win early, you need your DNs to play the run. And that's where Carl comes in. Coral. That's it. That's what I got. 
like you said, we're pretty much in the same agreement. It's got to come from that D-line, putting pressure on a rookie QB that's having way too much success early on. I didn't think he'd have this amount of confidence coming into this matchup. Obviously, uh, this this was one of those when you look at the schedules like, oh, Saints should take care of business against a rookie. I still feel that way, personally, despite what the, the Saints are saying to me. I still feel like they should be able to take advantage of a rookie. Um, but no, but look, you look at the two games they lost, right? You know, Jordan Love, they bottled him up all game. But then in that fourth quarter, he was able to get out. He was able to extend plays in ways that he wasn't earlier in the game. And it cost them, right? Against the Bucs, Baker Mayfield was just extending plays all day long. You can only cover for so long. And so to me, that's going to, you know, I could probably say the same thing for the X Factor every week if I wanted to. But to me, in in a game like this where you got a young quarterback who you're going to try to fool a little bit. You're going to try to, he's going to try to just sneak around, extend plays. Like it's going to, you're going to don't want to make life easier on him by letting him do that. No, definitely not. And like you said, hopefully the saints have been pumping him up all week. So he goes in even with a bigger head of confidence, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that we'll see a calm, cool, collected dude. I just want to see obviously that, that defense collapse in that pocket, making him uncomfortable and having to get rid of that ball. Hopefully a tick sooner, maybe a tip happens and some magic and we, and we get that first interception of the season. I think it's happening this week. I, I do. I think they're going to get, the Saints are going to get out ahead. They're going to force them to get a little aggressive. And I think you're going to see it, but Hey, you know, I've, I'm, I'm almost always wrong. So uh, take that <laughs> with a grain of salt. That's not true either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could be wrong about being wrong. Anyway. All right. This is inside black and gold. It's going to wrap it up for us on this here podcast. Thanks again to Sean Pendergast for coming on, helping to break down what the Saints should expect in the Texans. That's going to be noon central time over at NRG stadium. You know, we're going to, we're going to get going here. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Geller, WWL, the show at Saints underscore pod. You can check out the latest news notes and analysis over at WWL.com and check out sports talk four to 8 PM every day, Monday through Friday on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3. And on the always free Odyssey app. I've been working on my diction. Can you tell? The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. The human torch was denied a bank loan. Anyway, Steve, how you doing? You ready? You ready for week six? What do you got? I'm ready for week six. And then, man, we're going to have a quick turnaround, obviously. So it's going to be bang, bang. Thankfully, it's at home. That's all yes, I'm exactly. Oh. Thankfully, it's at home. But all right, y'all. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Who that? Go Saints. Be easy, y'all. Peace.